Hey everybody, this is Chris Morgan from Halloween Unleashed and I'm back to tell you a little something about Built Bar. Now, Built Bar is a protein bar that is for you and me. Now, if you're anything like me and you've tried every protein bar on the planet and it tastes like, ugh, just nasty, well, go over to BuiltBar.com and get yourself 10% off this special order. It actually tastes like a candy bar. It's only got about three grams of sugar. On average, it's got 180 calories and 20 grams of protein. Not only that, they have amazing flavors. They're releasing new flavors all the time and they're coming out with the blueberry lemon. Now, I just tried that not too long ago and if you like blueberries and you like lemon, that is amazing. It, it is 100% real chocolate. 100% real fruit, and if you're like me and have gluten allergies, guess what? It's gluten-free. Get yourself 10% off your order of $20 or more by heading over to BuiltBar.com. You will, you will thank me later. All right, everybody. We are back talking about your ball sack. That's right. We are talking about your ball sack and... Do you want to always stay in place, be independent, and have roomy space and stay dry with no rubbing? Well, then you need to look into Separatech. Separatech, that's S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E-C.com. Separatech.com. Now, what is Separatech? Separatech is underwear that are designed with patent dual pouch technology. What that means is you're going to keep your balls and your love in place. Pretty much when you wear general underwear, you're getting you're constantly adjusting the boys, you're nested in constraint, and you get sticky and itchy. How many times have you been in traffic and you haven't been able to reach down there and adjust the boys when they have slid down into the nether regions to you adjust your nuts? Now you can get Separatech dual pouch technology. It's patented. And they're giving 10% off if you go to Separatech.com and enter in your email address. They will instantly give you 10% off to try it. And if you don't like it, you can return it with no questions asked. The way I always look at Separatech is it's a glove for your love. So go ahead, go to Separatech.com and get that glove for your love. This is your bedroom. This is your bedroom with Blue Chew. Blue Chew uses the same active ingredients as in Viagra or Cialis, but now comes in chewable form. Chewable means better, cheaper, and works faster than pills. I've tried Cialis, I've tried Viagra. Blue Chew works the best. It's a fraction of the cost. The Blue Chew's definitely gotten the job done. No in-person doctor visit, no waiting in line, no more awkwardness. Order online to get your first month free. I want my girlfriend to want me, and with Blue Chew, she really does. Blue Chew is the future of manhood. Go to bluechew.com and restart the party. Or call 800-232-8803. 800-232-8803. Welcome to the Halloween Unleashed Podcast. And now, here are your hosts for the week. Welcome to Halloween Unleashed. I am your host, Chris Morgan. And today, oh, we were going to record the Halloween 8 Mofugga episode. But uh, 
I'm going to be doing it solo. Aaron uh, could not be with us. And then uh, Brandon was going to join us. And Brandon couldn't be with us. So I just decided, hey, we've been trying to get this thing in the can for the last couple of weeks. Let me just go ahead and run with it. Because uh, my schedule is going to be severely, severely packed next week. And... Um, I'm just not going to have the time to get together and record and then put the show together and all that stuff before next Friday. So I want to make sure that there's a show next, uh, next week. Um, want to go ahead and cover this. Um, there's an official Halloween unleashed page, not a group, a page, a business page on Facebook it was my my old Halloween H35 page that um, I converted into the Halloween Unleashed page. So uh, we're trying to build that up. Almost 2,000 people have subscribed to that page, um, which is awesome. It's been around since 2013 when uh, we were promoting H35. But... Um, Last week, we, we had a live episode with Marianne Hagen from Halloween 6, and it went extremely, extremely well. Um, I've gotten PMs like crazy, uh, people um, just saying what fun it was, how hilarious she was, what good banter we all had, what good questions, and just overall, people that had to work the next day stayed um, so that they could hear the rest of it just because they were having that much fun. Now, when you have that much fun and that much success, there was a little snafu at the very beginning. Um, that was on me. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but uh, long story short, could not get her unmuted so that we could get the show going. And a result, Aaron had to cover my ass, uh, and I do appreciate that, for about 10, 15 minutes until we were able to get everything rolling. Um, we had almost 50 people in the chat room, and then about 20 of them dropped out um, because they didn't want to wait. So for those of you that didn't wait, joke's on you, because we all ended up having a fantastic time. Uh, sometimes live episodes, when you're live... Things happen. You got to stick it out. The live episodes are not pre-recorded, so we don't know what is going to happen. Um, in this situation, it was just one of those things that just nobody could have predicted it. No amount of testing could have predicted it. It just happened. So, But with all that said, the entire episode was not only great, it was fun. It was informative. There was things that were told that wasn't told on her um, entire deep dive series in Halloween 6. There were some new nuggets of information that came out. And we did drop some news, you know, um, that we're going to be working on a sequel to Halloween 6 uh, with Marianne Hagen as re returning as Kara Strode, if that wasn't clear during that episode. Um, we're going to do all we can to raise enough funds to cover the expense of the production. I'm not looking to make a dime on the movie. Um, I just want 
all the things that we will have to pay for score editing actors actresses crew you name it i want everybody to be taken care of and have this done above board and uh that's that's all i want not looking to make a dime off the film just looking for that you know just looking to have a fun halloween film she's on board she loves the script um i've gotten several pms of people that asked if hey if this movie doesn't take off can i see the script my short answer is let's pump the brakes a little bit um why are you already assuming that this movie isn't going to happen think positively there's not a lot of positivity that we're able to sink our teeth into um, right now in our world. And this is the one thing that is positive. Let's not ruin it by putting bad omens out there. So uh, short answer, no, you can't read the script because the movie is going to happen and uh, you'll be able to watch it. Now, um, the other nugget of information that I dropped was um, we're working together with Marianne to try and get other cast and crew, namely Dan Ferens, Mariah O'Brien, Devin Gardner, and uh, maybe J.C. Brandy and a few others uh, for Halloween 6 uh, 25-year re reunion on the date that the movie was released on September 29th, 1995. So on September 29th, 2020, we're looking to have the 25-year reunion and watch the producer's cut with them. Initially, initially, it was going to be a live episode. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm going to be, I'm going to be transparent about that. Uh, you know, at the time, seemed like a great idea, seemed harmless. But as I'm looking into it, something I did not know and did not take into consideration is I would be hosting and distributing a Halloween 6 film live on the internet that may not be, I'm going to have to look into it some more, but it may not be exactly um, allowed. We'll just put it that way. So what we may end up doing is with the cast and crew is uh, we may do a pre-record where us four watch it. Um, and then we'll do like a countdown, like everybody watches their own copy. And um, we may do a countdown of, hey, you know, we're going to start this in three, two, one, and then everybody play. And then if you guys want to watch along and listen to the episode commentary while you're watching your own, um, that may have to be the case. But it it's looking more and more like it's going to be a pre-record with just a very small group. And then when the episode airs, uh, you guys can watch your own copy of the producer's cut and follow along. So today we're going to jump into the MoFugga. Um, I think that does it for the news and notes for this week. Um, first and foremost, I, I just want to throw out the... Uh, the Halloween 8 mask, uh, the resurrection mask, whatever you want to call it, the Brad Laurie mask, is 
as far as sequel mask goes, it's right behind the H6 mask for me. Um, it is one of those masks that um, will uh, – it just stands right up there for me. And I know a lot of people don't like it, don't like anything to do with the movie, that don't can't get over the Buster Rhymes karate kick and Michael Myers. I get it. I totally get it. The one thing I will say about Halloween Resurrection is while there are a lot of elements I don't like, there are a lot of elements I do like. And I focus on what they got right, they got very right. Uh, what they got wrong, they got very wrong. So it was very polarizing where it was never like this middle ground. But I'll just say that it was consistent on both sides. It was either very good or very bad. Um, and I thought that the production design that they did with the set and blending it to make it look like that that house was on that street, tremendous. I thought the design of the house, tremendous. I thought that the mask, tremendous. I thought um, trying to break the tradition and go a different route uh, with new characters, great. You know, it was interesting. Trying to introduce the reality-based part of it, eh, not so good. I thought that the Alice Blue lighting that they put throughout the film, tremendous. I even thought that some of some of the comedy worked. Um, I'm not going to do my Busta Rhymes impression when uh, Michael's following him in the house. I did that on the live episode back in May. I'm not going to do it today. I'm just not feeling up to it. Um, but uh, I'll have to do it sometime on another live episode. The bottom line is, is I think that Bianca Kalik or... A lot of people say Bianca Kalalala, but Bianca Kalik, I thought she was great. Um, I liked her a lot. I really wish we could have saw more of her and got to scratch the surface on her character development. Um, I thought Rosenthal, um, for all the brilliance that he got as a director of part two, uh, was kind of uneven in this. You know, he, you know, for like, once again, it, it was just like the film. The things he got right, he got very right and did very well. The things he got wrong, he did very, very, very badly. Um, I thought it lacks, lacked a lot of suspense. I love the incorporation of the breathing and then the slow track and all that stuff, the POVs. I thought all that stuff worked. I thought that the mood and the, and the cinematography and the lighting and everything that they did to kind of bring it wholesome from a visual aspect. I thought it worked from a visual standpoint. Um, but, uh, but as far as the direction goes, I think it was very uneven and it could never quite figure out what type of film it was trying to be. So he's going to get a, uh, a failing grade for me on that one. But you guys are not here to hear my opinion and breakdown on resurrection, even though um, I wanted to kind of lead 
lead that in. And we, I would have done that with Aaron here no matter what. Um, not going to comment on the Buster Rhyme stuff. Not even going to get in on it to all the Dangertainment stuff. Not going to talk about the reality base in a, in a very detailed element. Not going to do that. Um, but... Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna talk about the replicas. I mean, and, and and everything that came out. Cinema Secrets was hired to do the mask, and when they was a, when they were originally approached to do the mask, they were asked to. You can't make it directly like the Stan Winston H2O mask, but we need it to look close enough to it, while it being its own thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I can see the resemblance. Obviously, they're two totally separate masks, but I can see some resemblance of what they were trying to do. But Cinema Secrets, they were a costume mass-producing produ mass shop. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of people remember uh, Cinema Secrets for their portrayal of the 1978 release of the Myers mask. And ultimately, Cinema Secrets and Don Post going to court over licensing issues. And ultimately, Cinema Secrets ended up winning. Um, Don Post did not own the trademark license for the 1978 mask. Trankus did. So Trankus licensed it and licensed Cinema Secrets to do their own interpretation of the boogeyman. The mask was not good. Not good in an, a, 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 you know, on many levels. It had this big honking nose, like long pointy nose, uh, these big overdramatic lips, these half, I called them half moon eyebrows where they just look like two half moons sitting on top of the eyes. The hair was plastic. Um, and it was all white, which is fine. The one thing that I will say for the mask is that unlike the Don Post, the mask, um, cinema secrets tried to incorporate more facial features into the, into the sculpt. It just didn't work, um, to be a replica of the 1978 mask. And it was a, it was a huge fail on a mass production level. But fast forward a few years, um, Cinema Secrets got the um, got the job to sculpt and create the Resurrection Mask. And I've always said that the Resurrection Mask, like uh, if the H2O mask looks like Jack Palance or Palance or however you pronounce his name. Google it. You'll you'll look at him. Look at him a little bit younger, not the older Jack Palance or Palance. I'm going to call him Palance. Jack Palance. Um, he looked like the younger version of him. Well, while the resurrection mask reminded me of Ray Liotta, um, the Rob Zombie version reminds me of Ted Danson. Um, you know, we all know the first two is William Shatner. We all know that. So just some funny things there, but, uh, yeah, the Ray Liotta Halloween resurrection mask cinema secrets was in charge of 
they also got the mass production license to produce replicas. And what they got through the licensing agreement with Trankus was they got to release one of 1,000 um, or a thousand copy collector's edition mass that came uh, from one of the copy molds from the film, not from the mother mold, uh, not from the screen use mold that which is a lot what a lot of people think. It was a production mold to make copies of that mask. So it didn't come directly from the the mold that the screen use mask was pulled from. Um, how that rumor got out there, I'll never know. That's fine. Don't care. Then they, then the resurrection mask got a mass produce release. This went through several incarnations. The first one, the most sought after one is the LM 102 mask. Uh, which was a copy of a copy of a copy into full-on China, Mexico, or whoever mass production. Uh, had very cheap latex, hardly any facial detail, plastic hair, just kind of like their their um, their 1978 version of just the same type of hair, same everything. Except for this mask had a lot of airbrushed gray throughout it. And that's where a lot of people are like, oh, well, the resurrection mask was gray. No, actually it was white. It just had hints of grays and browns and stuff put into the paint. Um, not like the mass produced release. But that was the LM-102 that came out in 2002 on a mass production level. Uh, the collector's edition, the 1000 came out around the same time as the LM-102. Only a 1,000 copies were made. A certificate of authenticity and the number, it was a numbered uh, set. Uh, there's still some out there that pop up from time to time. The asking price is astronomical. Um, it was laid with um, a combination of crepe and human hair. Uh, so not the plastic hair that the LM-102 mass production got. Then in 2003, um, the LM-103 came out, which is was even a more bastardized version of the LM-102. And then in 2004, the LM-104 came out, uh, which was even a further bastardization. Uh, where this one had almost no detail, uh, the hair was even cheaper, and it was all it was all gray. And then there was the LM105 that came out in 2005, that was that was all white with brown eyebrows. It had a big hole cut in the mouth. Um, it sagged horribly because the latex was so cheap, and the hair stuck straight up. It was a, I think, I don't want to say it was an Amazon special, but I, I remember seeing it advertised on Amazon about 2011, 2012. But shortly after that is when, um, after the LM-105 that came out in 2005, Cinema Secrets, towards the later 2000s um, into the 2010s, decided that they were getting out of the mass production game. So all that was left of the LM-105s out there was what, Amazon sellers were selling them for eBay sellers and there were still some that popped up from time to time.
Um, there's still a few rehaulers that get their hands on it and said, hey, I got a resurrection mask. You got a real big bastardization of one. Uh, there's some LM-102s that get rehauled. Um, I know Rodney Parm has done a, done a few of them. Um, and it's just... I feel the same way about the LM-102 or any mass production mask that I do. So this is not me shitting on tots like most people think I do. I don't. But... I'm just going to go back to what I said a couple weeks ago on that episode where I said it's like getting a BMW or a Kia. They're both going to drive. You both, I mean, you got to change the oil in both. But no matter what you do to the Kia, it's still a Kia. And when you go to sell it, it's only going to be worth so much. Whereas a BMW is going to hold its value. And if you put things into it, and do things to make it better, you're probably going to get more than what it's worth. You're not going to do that with a Kia. You're not going to do that with any mass-produced mask, like I've said. So I just don't ever agree with the rehauling and sinking $250, $300 total or more into a, re uh, into a rehauled mass-produced mask. That's, that's my opinion. I know that's not some of you that listen to this, so don't think I'm taking a shot at you. If you think that that's that's what you want to spend your money on, then fuck, go do it. I it doesn't change anything in my life. But a lot of people will will send me a PM say, "Hey Chris, what's your opinion on this?" Well, I'm giving it to you right now. I would never sink money in a mass produce rehaul. That's me. You're gonna spend sixty, sometimes seventy bucks. If you get lucky, 45, 50 bucks, then you're going to spend anywhere from two to $300 to get a rehaul done. And then now you're talking about for, for, for the same people that are going to say, well, I got a $60 mask and I'm going to send it out and get it rehauled for two to $300. Those are the same people that say, well, I don't have the money for, for an indie mask. If you just would have saved your money a little bit more, you could have got an independent version probably that is going to be five times the quality, not probably is going to be five times the quality. And most of the time, if you pick the right artist, you're not going to have to send it out for a rehaul. Just my opinion. So, um, let's move on to today's topic. How did the mofucka come into production? So I've worked in the film industry. I've worked um, in several films, several different avenues of filmmaking. I've been in, you know, from a, from a PA on Too Fast, Too Furious to working on The Punisher um, that was shot in Tampa Bay when I lived over there um, to working on the straight to DVD Ace Ventura 3. Um there are so many different films that I worked on in the early 2000s all the way up until about 2007, 2008 when I tried to do a lot of my own stuff. Now, for those that don't know, that wouldn't know as of 2020, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, um, Central Florida was a hotbed for um, films, for film production. 
the film incentives, the tax incentives, all that stuff was amazing. And then you get the beautiful, uh, like a lot of people wanted to shoot in South Florida. So you like in Too uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, Bad Boys 2 that I worked on, all that stuff. You had that really, really beautiful, um, very vibrant colors and art deco and all this stuff. Same with the Punisher. The Punisher has a very distinct look. It has a Florida look to it um, that you can't get anywhere else. You can't fake that look. So, um, but in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was a hotbed for straight to DVD movies um, and some big blockbusters. And a lot of people thought that this was going to be Hollywood East. A lot of people did. Didn't work out that way. I wish I would have known that before I planted myself here and got my union card here. But that's a story for another day. Um, but as of about 2007, I really wanted to do um, my own teen drama. I, I wrote it. I produced it. It lasted only a few episodes um, and it was going to get picked up. Now, keep in mind, I sank my entire savings into self-producing the show. I'm going to paint a picture, you know, back in 2007, video on demand or pay-per-view when it came to TV shows and series or streaming video was not the norm. It was still in its infancy stages. HD wasn't even readily available to the mass public. It was still standard definition in a lot of cases. So um, what ended up happening was, is I, I was trying to sell my TV series to the two biggest empires at that time, Xbox Live and Apple iTunes. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, if the general public is willing to spend 99 cents to download a song from iTunes, why wouldn't people pay 99 cents for a 45 minute web series that had actors and storylines and a story and ongoing season long arc with you're going on the journey with these people, with these six people. So that was my philosophy and it caught a lot of steam. I mean, a ton of steam. Um, we were the talk of all of Florida production. Like we were going to be the production that saved production in Florida. And maybe I'm going a step above that, but long story short, it was a big deal. You know, we had media outlets that was covering it. Uh, we had a lot of our local central Florida, uh, you know, newspapers covering it. We were getting, um, I don't want to say paparazzi, but we were getting like, uh, you know, news media coming out to our shoots, trying to get video or pictures or whatever. So it was a big deal 
at that time. And a lot of you are listening to this going, what does this have to do with the resurrection mask? It does. It all comes together. So just pay attention with me. So um, we did the series and I sank my entire life savings into it. It didn't, it didn't work. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I can't talk about on why it didn't work. Um, but let's just say that some people that like when I needed them most to, to get in the foxhole with me and fight, they didn't. We'll just leave it at that. So after that, my union card was really starting to dry up because they're like all that was left out there production wise, the stations that, um, sold things like, uh, late night TV, like, uh, gosh, what's the name of it? Like where you shop on TV, they advertise the products. I mean, there was studio type stuff like that. Then there was Telemundo that was coming into big central Florida thing. And, you know, you, you, you had to be a minority that spoke very fluent Spanish to be able to even get an internship with them. Then I was also, I was doing news stringing where I worked for a company that I was a freelancer that would go out in the middle of the night from like my shift would start at eight o'clock at night and would end eight o'clock in the morning. And some people probably saying, well, why, well, why did you pick that shift? Well, all the news stories that break that is newsworthy isn't going to be happening during the middle of the day. You know, you're not going to have robberies go down. You're not going to have shootings go down. You're not going to have uh, a semi truck that falls asleep at the wheel and explodes inside of a toll station, which I covered by the way. Um, but you would go out and you would shoot all of these things and then you would take them around and sell them to the news stations. Um, I remember selling my national story of the exploding toll booth to CNN and to Fox and they were paying $500 a pop for them. And then plus you get all the all the local media coverage that was paying 150 to 250 for them and you take them all. So that's how you made your money doing that stuff. But then there comes the, the people, the competitors that are sniping your story, then they're undercutting you and all that stuff that comes along with it. So then you get into a bidding war with the stations. Now you can't make as much. Keep in mind, you're driving 100 miles an hour across central Florida, trying not to get in an accident, just trying to get to the scene of the accident or the crime or whatever so that you can get flames that you can sell. Um, I did that for about six months, and I decided this wasn't for me. Um, so I applied because I had worked in the, in the TV and film industry for – at that point, seven years, I knew the ins and outs on how to get into the business and all that. So I, I, I saw a career advisory position open at Full Sail University. Back then it was called Full Sail Real World Education. It was a private college, still a private college, 
but now it's more of a state funded school now. Um, or they got a, not a state funded school. I'm sorry. They got their state accreditation now. So they're a fully accredited university. So they're called full sale university now. But back then when I, when I joined the ranks, it was full sale real world education. I interviewed, uh, over the holidays of 2007, I was hire, hired in January of 08 and my job as a career advisor was to meet with would-be or soon-to-be graduates and help them build their resumes, their demo reels, advise them, coach them, teach them how to fish on how to find work and how to get into the entertainment industry. That was my job. If anybody that's ever listened to any of my podcasts, you know I pull no punches. You know I say it like it is. For those of you that have known me longer than five minutes know that I'm that way. To When I got into the industry, it was much like an old hardened football coach that will beat the shit out of you, coach you hard, and love you later. That's how I got into the industry. I've, and I was, I was galvanized when I got into the industry. I, di I didn't have any rude awakenings when I got into the industry. Like when I was going through school, I'm like, I'm just going to write a good script. I'm going to get it produced, and I'm going to become Spielberg when I get out of here. A lot of people that went to that two-year technical school at Full Sail University thought the same way. So when they would come and meet with me, I would start figuring out where they're going to go, what their plans are, how they're going to get there, what money they have saved up, and you know all the things that you would go through with somebody when they're talking about their life plans. Every one of them was cocky and arrogant and thought that the world spun on their finger. Keep in mind, they were insulated from a, from a, uh, from a university standpoint. They didn't have to go out and have to worry about where their paychecks coming from because mommy and daddy are paying the bills at this point. Your student loans are covering everything. But what happens when you graduate is six months later, that student loan's going to come knocking on your door and saying, hey, I, I want to get paid for now for that two years of school and that two years of loans that you took out so that you could go do this trade technical school. That's what I was trying to prepare them for. But what ended up happening was I was pissing a lot of people off because I was bursting their bubble and not coddling them and letting them know that they were going to be Spielberg when they left here. I felt if I did that, that would be a huge disservice to my, to my student base. I'm here to prepare you not to tell you everything that you want to hear, because you know what? The film and entertainment industry in general is hard. It's hard to break into. It's even harder to get your career going. It's even harder to, sus to sustain. And if you don't prepare for what it's going to do to you when you get out, you're going, you're going to have a lot of student loans and you're going to have nothing to stand on. And now you're really going to be pissed at me. So I thought I was doing a service to my students 
to prepare them correctly and let them know when you get out of here, you may want to be Spielberg. That's 10, 15 years in the making, by the way, to become a director. I know because I did it. So what you need to be doing is, is you need to be getting in, interning somewhere. Start networking with people on these internships. Get Start applying for every film that you can get your hands on. Independent, union, SAG, whatever. You've got to get in anywhere. By the way, probably for your first year, you're going to be working for a cheeseburger. You're probably not going to be lighting a rig or running sound or doing editing for a major motion picture or a music video or whatever was going on at the time, you're probably going to be sweeping cigarette butts as a production assistant on the sidewalk of that set and nobody's going to know your name. That's paying your dues. Those are the things I was saying because that's the way it is. You pay your dues and you become thankful for that. It's the people that stand out in those opportunities that move up. Perfect example here. I was a PA on Bad Boys 2. I was the person that was running the, um, I don't want to say concessions uh, uh, table, but the, but the craft services table. So... People would come through, they would get their coffee or their drink, and then they would leave straws and their cups. And my job was to keep it neat and clean. We're down in South Florida in Miami shooting, and we run out of ice. And the person that catered in all the ice was not coming back. And we still had six more hours. We had actors, we had crew. We had above and below the line crew that needed ice. What did I do? Instead of just letting people figure it out and try to explain why we have no ice and people didn't want to hear that. They don't have time to hear that. I took it upon myself to, to leave the set. I got permission to leave the set on my own dime, went and bought 50, 50 bags of ice and brought them back to the set. For everybody to have ice. I broke up the ice. Put them in all the cups. And started handing out ice cold waters to everybody. That's what I did. But you know what happened? I ended up getting a call. Saying hey. Who was. The, they, they called the, the, the person that was running the set. Who was the guy that bailed us out. On the ice. It was a producer that was asking the question. It was me. Who do you think they called to come on to their next shoot? It was me. And guess what? I started getting paid for it. So it's not about just doing all the right things. It's doing all the right things and then doing the things that are not asked of you. And that's what I was teaching these 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. I'm kind of going off in the weeds here. But long story short is... I ended up getting let go from there because I was too honest. And apparently I was rubbing some kids the wrong way as far as 
my honesty. They didn't like it. So, anyway, point of this university and point of this story is you meet a lot of people that have worked on a ton of major studio sets. You work, I mean, you're networking like crazy when you work there. It's like its own city. If you've ever been to Full Sail University, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I was there before Full Sail Live and NXT and all that stuff was filmed there. That stuff wasn't even there when I was working there. It was being built while I worked there, but to see it now is like 10 times bigger than it was when I was there, and it was already big. So... But you start to meet and communicate and converse and network with all these different factions within the film industry, basically. You know, instructors used to work in major studio films. They have a ton of credits. They end up coming back there to teach. You end up working with other career advisors and career counselors that had the same background, if not a bigger resume than you. You end up working with other people within your department that maybe worked on live stage production, but they had ties with someone who worked in the film industry, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you kind of see where I'm going with this. Well, what ended up happening was is along this journey while I was working at Full Sail, I, I filmed Halloween H3O. H30, as some people call it. And during that process, I developed my love for overhauls and working on making a mask better. So I was about a year into it, working on it. I ended up in um, late 2009. It was my last Halloween there. Um, ended up winning a Halloween costume contest for a Rob Zombie mask that I overhauled from a Mr. Happy Mold. And I wore that there. And one of the guys walked up to me and said, dude, who did that mask? Did you buy it at a store? I said, no, I did it. He said, really? Man, I used to work or I worked on uh, one of those Jason films. And I said, okay, cool. You know, it's not the same character, but, you know, I was going with it. He goes, yeah, man. I goes, I, I worked on, on one of those Jason films that was filmed uh, back in the early 2000s, and I'm thinking he's talking about Jason X. I'm like, oh, yeah, you worked you worked on Jason X where they put him in space. He goes, no, 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 that, that, that wasn't it. It was the one with Buster Rhymes in it. And I'm like, oh, Resurrection. And he said, yeah. And I was like, well, that's Michael Myers. He goes, oh, that's right, yeah. You know, I got, I got confused. Both have a white mask. I said, yeah, but Jason has a hockey mask. Michael Myers has a William Shatner mask. You know, trying to keep things simple for him. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. My bad. He goes, but anyway, I got one of those. Um, I was able to keep one of the production copies, one of the 15 from the film. Could you rehair it for me? Because all the hair's fallen out of it. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I could do that. No problem. And um, I said, hey, while I got all the hair off of it, would you mind if I casted this? And he's like, I don't want anything bad to happen to it. Um, so I know I don't want you to cast the entire thing. I want you to just do the face, then the neck and the ears. And I'm like, that's fine. 
uh, Brian Hoffman had just did the HMK the very same way. So I was, I was familiar with the process. So that's what I did. So I casted that and released my first called the resurgence and it sucked. It was horrible. It looked very, very, very bad. So I put it back into clay and released the, in 2013, released the first version of the Mofaka. At that time, it was called the Lori. And the reason it was, it, it's not still called the Lori is because the person that came up with the name is a person I did uh, that helped frame me for the Halloween 6 mask, which is in the archives on how I got framed for the H6 mask. And that person's name is Frankie Spradlin or Death Clutch or Dick Clutch. He's the one that came up with the name Lori. And I don't want any association with him or the name, and I don't want him taking any credit for it whatsoever. So the runner-up name was the Mofucka. So I changed the name from the Lori to the Mofucka. So um, I produced that for a couple of years. I enlarged the mask, and it was okay. I mean, it, it definitely looked like the Halloween 8 mask. Um, it definitely looked like that, like a really good casting, but at the same time, there was a lot of things I didn't like about it. So I tried to retool it. This is early on in my retooling. I failed at that horribly. So I was going to go back and I was going to fix that. And then I got a call from the guy that I rehaired the mask for. And he's like, Hey man, I'm going to sell this thing off. Um, I wanted to come to you first because I still kept that network. He goes, I wanted to come to you first. Do you want to buy it? And I said, yeah, I'll buy it. So I bought it off of him. I get the mask back and the mask needs to be rehaired again. I don't know what he did with it, but it needed to be rehaired again. And by this point I had the actual real hair that was used. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to rehair it anyway. So I pull all the hair off of it. And I was like, well, now, since I don't have to sign an agreement with this guy that I can only do the face, neck, and ears, I can do a full casting of it. By this point, I was a lot more experienced. I knew what I was doing. So I casted the entire head. And then at that point in 2015 is when I was able to release uh, the actual full casting of the Mofuga. And then last year I was able to enlarge it and put the details into it for the, those with a bigger head. So I've had people that bought the original version back in 2013 and said, Hey, I have a mofug. And I'm like, no, you have the old version. You, this is the real version now. So there's two separate versions out there, but the, but the biggest difference is, is the first version was only the neck face and, uh, ears that were casted. The rest I had to sculpt on. It was not very good. So anyway, um, that's how, that's the story of, of, of how I got the, the mask and how I got the project up and running. And I've just been re refining my, uh, paint schemes and different things on it ever since. Um, Aaron had opened up a uh, question and answer area wasn't a whole lot on this mask. And I, it, what, which was shocking to me 
is it won in a landslide on a voting on a poll that people wanted to know about this mask, but not many people wanted to ask questions about it. So I am going to answer the questions. I'm going to read them on the air and then I'm going to answer them. Um, Michael Bitterman asks, where does this mask rank in time taken to complete? It is, it does take a while. This is probably one of the, the most intricate paint jobs of probably anything because everything is airbrush, everything. Um, as far as how much time it takes, I never really timed it start to finish. Maybe I will now because now I'm curious. Um, but yes, it does take longer than most because of that very reason. Um, Michael Bitterman also says, looking forward to hearing Chris Morgan's Buster Rhymes impression during the episode. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it this time. Um, I said to Aaron that you may be coming up with questions on your own because there wasn't really anything. Chad Morphis says that he's just now seeing this post. Don't know why it hasn't popped up until now, but then he never asked a question. So was there supposed to be a question there, Chad? Just curious. Um, Alexander Wilkins asks, what kind of paint job is done on the Mofuga to create its aura and look? White paint. Um, Robert Linhart, Linhart, Lin, Linhart, Linhart, I've heard it pronounced both ways, Rob. I'm, I'm really sorry. I had a, I had a friend named uh, Jeremy Linhart um, that was pronounced Linhart. Spelled exactly the same way, so I don't know how yours is pronounced, but I think it's Linhart, so I'm going to say Linhart. Um, he said, what inspired C.M. Morgan to create this mask, and how does it tie back to the OG-78? It doesn't. It's a, I've already explained, uh, Cinema Secrets was hired to try and replicate the Stan Winston sculpt from H2O, make it look similar in character style, but not not get them in any trank us in any legal trouble. Uh, B man Jim says, what's the preferred hair of choice for them? Um, brown hair. And then Alexander Wilkins says, which angle really makes it pop? Um, don't know. Whatever one looks the best. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. That was all the questions that we got. So got no more questions. I got no more answers. You got the story of the Mofuga and how it was created. As you notice, when you guys ask more questions, we have a lot more answers and a lot more fun and a lot more stories to tell. So there's plenty of more stories on this one. Just not a lot of questions. So I hope that you guys had fun, and next week we're going to be doing the JTK episode, and then after that is going to be the 7 episode, and then we'll be putting up questions for that as well, so make sure you get them in. But um, hope everybody had a good 4th of July, and make sure you add the new Halloween Unleashed business page. If you're looking on pages on Facebook, type in at Halloween Unleashed the podcast and our page will pop up. So 
With that being said, I am Chris Morgan. There is no Aaron Bass or Brandon Zachman this week, but uh, we are out of time, and make sure that you wash your hands, stay safe, and stay virus-free. Take care. Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed. Be sure to download, rate, and subscribe anywhere you download your podcasts. From Apple, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And then join our social media channels at our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Halloween Unleashed. On Instagram at Halloween Unleashed. And on Twitter at HWeen Unleashed. Be sure to share our episodes in your horror groups on your timeline and on Instagram. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Halloween Unleashed.